Section 6. The Roosevelt Rondon Scientific Expedition and the Telegraph Line Commission. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Roosevelt Rondon Scientific Expedition and the Telegraph Line Commission by Candido Mariano da Silva Rondon. Translated by Richard George Reedy and Edwin Douglas Murray. First Lecture, Part 5. The morning of the 30th was still employed in visiting the Indian village and the surroundings of Saltobello Falls, where we breakfasted. We then proceeded on our journey to Udiarity. Here Mr. Roosevelt was met with a festive reception by the Parisis, under the lead of the Amur Major Libiano Caluso Rosse. Utiarity, on the river Papageo or Sawayunia, an affluent of the right bank of the Juruena, is a name which since 1907 designates one of the most wonderful waterfalls of the world. I refer to it in my public lectures of 1911, delivered in this capital and in Sao Paulo, when I alluded to the marvel with which I was struck on seeing this enormous mass of water plunge itself into space in one gigantic fall of 80 meters. I shall not dwell, therefore, on the recollection of the impressions which remained stamped in my mind from the moment in which, still far off, I commenced to hear the deafening roar of this furious mass of water up to the moment in which I set foot on the trembling soil on the border of the abyss, whence huge clouds of eternal mist are thrown up. I shall only say that in seeing it, Mr. Roosevelt was filled with admiration and declared that it was one of the most beautifully complete creations of nature, only surpassed perhaps by the Niagara Falls. Close by those falls, a telegraph station exists since 1910, and also a village of one of the three groups of Parisi Indians, which I managed to dislodge from their old dwelling place at the headwaters of the River Verde and others, and settle in the neighborhood of this and other telegraph stations established on the road from there to Diamantina. In their new settlements, the Indians hold the legal possession of the land which they use for their plantations and live under the direct protection of the government represented by the Telegraph Lines Commission. Besides these advantages of a general nature, the dwellers of the Utiarity village, as also those of Ponte de Pedra, have also the benefit of schools where their children learn reading, writing, and arithmetic. These schools comprise two divisions, one for boys and the other for girls, respectively conducted by the local telegraph clerk and his wife. Among the festivities arranged for the reception of Mr. Roosevelt at Utiarity, there was one prepared by the little girls of the school to which I have just referred. Unfortunately, however, sad news awaited us here. The niece of our honored guest, who, together with Mrs. Roosevelt, had accompanied him on his excursion to South America and had returned to New York from Valparaiso, died shortly after reaching the United States. I, therefore, ordered all the festivities which the people of Utiarity were preparing to cease. Here we met Father Zahm and his companions who had traveled in the motor car. 
His reverence was very much astonished at the great difference which he found between our Indians and those of Peru. The latter he had occasion to study during the course of a journey he had undertaken some years back, when passing through the Pacific coast to the Amazon basin across the Andes. It even seems that this journey brought him certain renown as a fearless and resourceful traveler, because at the Fazenda de São Joao and at São Luís de Caceres, some Franciscan friars referred to it in a conversation with Mr. Roosevelt and foretold the most complete success for the expedition which was about to be undertaken, inasmuch as it could rely on the advice dictated by Father Zam's wide experience. Before our arrival at Utiarity, the American priest had been told by the inspector in charge of the maintenance of one of the sections of the telegraph line that it would be quite impossible to get the Parisi Indians to submit to carrying anyone across the wilderness on a chair fastened to two long rods which would serve to keep it upright and at the same time rest on the shoulders of four men. I confirmed this, and added that, except in cases of sickness or disablement, where it might be necessary to assist anyone by this method of transport, no one in Brazil could obtain such a mode of conveyance, inasmuch as it was entirely against our habits and character. Father Zam called our attention to the noteworthy fact that such a great difference should exist in the natures of men of an almost identical degree of civilization as in the case of Brazilian and Peruvian Indians. For among the latter, he had occasion to see that for a man to submit to such a task was an honor worth disputing when it was a question of conveying any representative of the Roman Catholic clergy. We, however, did not share in our friend's astonishment, inasmuch as we consider this and other differences as natural consequences of the methods adopted for the education of the Indians, which vary according to the object one has in view. If we propose to educate men so that they may incorporate themselves into our midst and become our co-citizens, we have nothing more to do than to persevere in applying the methods up to the present adopted in Brazil. If, however, our intention is to create servants of a restricted and special society, the best road to follow would be the one opened by the Jesuitic teachings. Whatever may be the nature of the people submitted to the system peculiar to this method, the result obtained will always be the same, as is proved by the fact which some time ago was related to me by Father Malan, viz. that the Indians of Tierra del Fuego were as much attached to the Salesian mission in our days as were those of Paraguay to the Jesuits in olden times, they have not, as the Guaranis had not, any other thought beyond attributing everything to God, to whom they consider they are indebted for everything which they possess, and all the work they are able to do. Mr. Roosevelt, entirely in accordance with this reasoning, said that he considered that the Indians are wards of the nation, whilst they do not attain the grade of civilization which would permit them to intermingle with the rest of the population and be absorbed by it, it cannot be an ideal of modern politics to promote or simply to consent that associations, religious or civil, should propose shutting them up in the ambit of their interests and of their special point of view. 
With these opinions, it was natural the American statesmen should agree and approve the action which, in the last few years, the governments of the Republic have wished to systematize amongst us, so as to solve the great problem clearly formulated by José Bonifacio, namely the establishment of the ethnic unity of the Brazilian people. Seeing what we were doing in this direction, Mr. Roosevelt found similarity between our action and that which exists in the United States under the name of Indian Service, dependent on the Department of the Interior, and with visible satisfaction he mentioned facts which prove the spirit of justice with which that government acts in relation to their Indian tribes. There, since 1837, the Indians' rights of property over the lands which they occupy is recognized, and if, for whatever motive, the government considers the disoccupation of any of these lands of public interest, negotiations are opened up with the Indians, and plots of land in some other part of the country are offered them in exchange, and an indemnity in money is paid. For this reason there are tribes who possess deposits of considerable sums of money in the North American public treasury, and on which the nation pays, in interest alone, close on two million dollars. The Osages tribe, for instance, figures as a creditor of the national treasury for the sum of eight million dollars. Unfortunately, in regard to this question of ownership of lands, we are in Brazil not only very backward, but also in a more than lamentable position, I may even say, shameful. The backwards of Brazil, where no civilized man ever trod, already appear on the books of the public registries as belonging to such and such citizens. Sooner or later, according to the convenience of their personal interests, these proprietors, caraduam sobolis, will expel the Indians who, by a monstrous inversion of facts, reason, and morality, will be from then considered and treated as intruders, bandits, and robbers. These and other matters relative to the Indian problem in Brazil and in the whole of America came back often and often to our minds, and however interesting they might be, we could not allow ourselves to be absorbed by them. There were other matters more urgent and necessary to be solved immediately. In the first place, we had to arrange the means for carrying out Mr. Roosevelt's resolution to send Father Zahm, with his attendant Sig, back from Utiarity. Both were detached from the American Commission, and in the second place we had to organize, with the resources of the Roosevelt-Rondon expedition, a new party to reconnoiter and explore the course of the river Papageo, leaving the point where we were, up to its mouth in the Juruena. With regard to the American priest, I arranged for all necessary means of transport to be afforded him on the rivers Sepotuba and Paraguay, until he should reach Coramba, where he would take passage on a Lloyd Brasileiro boat for Montevideo and Rio de Janeiro. From Utiarity he left on the 4th of February, embarking in a motor-car belonging to the Telegraph Lines Commission, which took him to Tapirapoan. For the River Papageo expedition, we had at our disposal the canoes which I had ordered to be built in October. The exploring party was organized with two chiefs, one a member of the American Commission as honorary chief, and the other as an effective chief. In order to fill the first-named post, 
Mr. Roosevelt appointed Captain Antonio Fiala, and the duties of the second fell upon Lieutenant Alcides Loridio de Santa Ana, a member of the Brazilian Commission. For the convenience of the present exposition, I will here anticipate the details which I would have to give later on in regard to the principal events during the voyage of the Fiala Loriodo party. The descent of the river Papageo was commenced on the 7th of February. On the same day, the members of the expedition arrived at the rapids, which became known as the Fiala Rapids, where they capsized. Captain Fiala could hardly swim and struggled desperately in the stormy waters. Now he would submerge under the eyes of his companions, then he would reappear on the surface further on to disappear again in the midst of the current. For a moment it appeared to the party that the expedition would there have a sad and lamentable ending. At this moment someone was seen resolutely swimming in the direction of the drowning man. On reaching him he extends him his vigorous arm, but he had hardly terminated this generous movement when the other one laid hold of him in a convulsive and deathly embrace. They seemed to form one body disappearing in the depths of the waters, and whilst they were drowning they struggled one to free his robust limbs and recover their liberty of action the other to continue fixed to the hope of living a hope which is the outcome not of the deadened mind but only of the muscular sensation of being attached to something solid the swimmer reappears from the bottom of the river free from the fatal embrace he takes breath and again throws himself into the waters to defy death for the sake of saving a life whose worth to him consisted in the mere fact of its being that of a man for the second time he is subjugated and obliged to recommence the desperate struggle he overpowers him and persists in his first intent behold them at last on land both alive Captain Fiala and his saviour, the canoe man, Agostinho Ferraz de Lima, a man from the state of Goyas, an inhabitant of the wilderness, an obscure hero, as fearless and devoted a camarada, as generally are the representatives of our strong race of caboclos, so incessantly abused by national and foreign writers, who exceed one another in criticizing all that is Brazilian, and in destroying in the minds of all the confidence in the future of our nationality, underrating the value of its men, their honor, and their character. After this wreck, the Fiala Loriodo expedition returned to Utiarity in order to take in fresh provisions and other material, in lieu of those that had been lost, and also to substitute the canoe which had been carried away by the rapids by a canadian canoe which we had taken there we recommenced the voyage on the eleventh next day the members of the expedition passed through the mouth of a river on the right bank which they recognized to be the sacre below and on the left bank they discovered another on the thirteenth which they identified as being the burity and following this that of the sauiunia also on the left bank. Proceeding, they penetrated into the Juruena, and from this river into the Tapayos, whose grand fall called Santo Augusto they passed on the 24th of February. Continuing down the Tapayos, they arrived at São Luis, embarking in a steamer of the regular line between this port and the city of Santarem, in the state of Pará. 
From there they went up the Amazon to Manaos, where they arrived on the 26th of March, without further trouble beyond that of bringing down Lieutenant Loriodo and a soldier, both in a sick condition. After the organization of the column, whose journey we have alluded to above, the Roosevelt-Rondon exhibition was divided into three parties with independent routes, but all working on the same plan and equal resources, so that at the end the respective work of each could be considered as constituting the elements of one sole undertaking, of the geographical exploration of the entire region studied by them. Of these three parties, one was headed by Captain Fiala and Lieutenant Loriodon, the other had been organized at Tapiropoen under Captain Amilcar A. Botelho del Magarhez, assisted by Lieutenant Joaquim Vieira de Melo Vilho, and having as his technical staff the naturalist Leo Miller of the American Commission, the geologist Dr. Eusebio Paulo de Oliveira, the taxidermist Henrik Reinisch, and also a botanist, a physician, and another taxidermist, who tendered their resignations and returned to Rio de Janeiro on the first day they explored the wilderness. This second party was destined to explore the rivers Cememrocao de Floriano, Pimenta Bueno, and the Gui Paraná, in order to arrive in the Amazon by the Madeira. But before reaching the first of these rivers, on leaving the Juruena, they became the vanguard of the party under Mr. Roosevelt, personally assisted by me. The other members were Mr. Kermit, George Cherry, the physician Dr. Antonio Cajarziera, and Lieutenant Salustriano Lira. The first party, being thus reconstituted, proceeded on the way to the river Duvida, leaving Utiarity on the 3rd of February. Five days later we arrived at the telegraph station of the Juruena, where there is a military detachment. There we met a group of twenty-five Nambiquara Indians, who manifested great rejoicing and surrounded us before we could get off our horses. On another occasion I hope to be able to dwell a little longer in exposing some of the characteristic traces of this nation of Indians, of which, before the work of the Telegraph Lines Commission, nothing precise or of any worth was known. For the present, I will limit myself to say that the general impression of Mr. Roosevelt was that the Nambiquaras are a people of a much milder and gentler nature, and more sociable than the great number of others belonging to a degree of civilization approximating theirs. The essential difference existing between this tribe and the Australians in reference to their methods of treating their women did not escape the penetrating eye of the American statesmen. As a matter of fact, the Nambiqueras, as almost all the Indians of Brazil, are not brutal to their women or to their children. On the contrary, they are kind and show a great deal of attention to them. They supply the wants for their subsistence and give them the same food which they eat themselves, obtained from their hunting, fishing, and their plantations. Another fact at once observed by our guest was the modest behavior and the simplicity of their habits and attitudes, not only of the men, but also of the women. 
in spite of the fact that they wear no garments and present themselves to the eyes of all just as they were born no one discovers in them an attitude a look or a simple movement which reveal malice and one might say with great appearance of truth that their habit of nudity clothes them more than the garments of many civilized people we left the juruena on the tenth the region which we traversed under the telegraph line from this river as far as the commemoracao de floriano is all occupied by the great nambiquara nation for this reason we encountered everywhere fresh groups of these indians who being advised of our passage came to meet us on the road to all of them we gave presents as a remembrance of this meeting with some we exchanged strings of beads and other odds and ends which we had brought for caps of jaguar skin potteries feather ornaments and other articles of their primitive and curious industry to describe in this march all the hardship we went through would be to repeat and enumerate the same fatigues and annoyances of all big journeys on horseback across the forests and wild uncultured open country withal if you remember that the expedition started in december and that we were now coming into the month of february it will then be understood that besides all the unavoidable discomforts of such journeys we had still to overcome the effects of our summer and the heavy rains which fell incessantly night and day but it must not be supposed as it would appear from print and hearsay that all these things were full of tedium in seeing them we cannot even think them monotonous owing to the different aspects in which the same episodes present themselves to us and the interest which we attach to them at the moment moreover with the march the landscape goes on changing and as we do not go very fast we have time to dwell upon the sights which arise and occupy our minds with one or other conjecture on some topographical problem the aspect of the flowers and even the color or the song of a bird here and there a tree which throws to the sides and above it its long frondent branches casting a wide dark shadow on to the middle of the isolated camp to the extent of which one's eyes can extend their vision as far as the long and undecisive curve of the horizon beyond an eminence from which a beautiful perspective is displayed in a succession of plains which appear to go to the infinite some covered with the light green of the grasses others with the dark tone of the woods winding according to the course of the rivers which they hide and shade and far off the dark blue of the massive mountains which gradually fades towards the north until it is mingled into the bluish white of the bright sky we took eighteen days on these marches at last on the twenty fifth of february we arrived at the point where a cutting belonging to the telegraph line crosses the river duvida the canoes were now ready it was only necessary to make the last arrangements embark the baggage brought some by the pack mules of the first party and the rest by captain amilcar's party and finally we who formed part of the expedition for the survey and scientific exploration of the river duvida all embarked end of section six